are listening to New City Servant Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into God's word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of his kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Galatians week two. We're in this book called Galatians up until and through Easter. And last week we learned that Christianity is not a faith based on what you do, but based on what Jesus has. Okay, you were listening. All right, I like that. How about this one? It's not based on your works, but on God's grace. That one's a little tougher, but we're going we're gonna to go into that today. Because today we're going to be talking about Paul and his story. Paul in the first and second chapter of Galatians shares his story about the radical transformation he has had in his life through Jesus Christ encountering him. And we're going to be looking at a section from one, uh, ch- chapter 1 verse 10 all the way through 2 verse 10. But let me pray and we're just going to dive right in. Lord Jesus, we thank you, we worship you, we praise you as the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, the one who has risen from the dead and defeated sin and death on our behalf. We love you, we long for your return, we thank you for healing us. We pray that as we sit in your word, we might come to better understand who you are, and for those who are wrestling with who you are, might you meet them now. Lord, today help us to see what the gospel truly is and what the gospel truly isn't. That we might know you, that we might be good news people and empowered by what you've done for us. And all God's people said, I'm in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. I'm reading from the CSB version. Paul writes, for am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am, I trying to stri- or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, that's a good line, but when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas. That's Peter, the apostle. And I stayed with him 15 days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I remained personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. They simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the the faith he once tried to destroy. 
and they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up according to a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running in vain, but not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. Now from those recognized as important, what they once were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. Since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. When James, Cephas, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that God, that had been given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship. And Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. The word of God. Bad news, fake news, unverified news, filtered news, manipulated news. We live in a world full of news. We live in a world where news and information and messages come at us 24-7 on our phones and on our laptops and on the TV and on billboards. And we see bad news all the time, right? I don't even have to give you an example of bad news. You open up the newspaper, you turn on your computer, there's bad news jumping off the screen at you. But we also live in an age of filtered news. If you get on social media, everything's perfectly postured and set up with the right filters. And we're just learning what social media now kind of does to us, the pressure it puts on us to perform with that picture and filter out the bad stuff, but then also to look like those other people. Filtered news is everywhere. But then also flooded news. Flooded news. It used to be that when a politician or an organization did something shameful and the news got out, they would spin the story to make it sound better for them. But now they're not doing that anymore. What they're doing is flooding the news with other stories so that no one pays attention to that shameful story. The news is being flooded in order to distract us from what what is really true. Not only that, but there's outrageous news. Clickbait. You get on the internet and the point is no longer telling the truth. It's getting someone to click. And the way to get someone to click is to share outrageous news. And so we see news that's outrageous. And not only that, we see news that's meant to grab you. Advertisers know that they have just seconds to get your attention. And you know all that computer stuff where you like search something and then a day later you see an ad for it. 
and they're trying to grab you and get you to buy it, and they're trying to put up an attractive image because they know that they've got to grab you just within seconds to get you to buy their product. All these different types of news is the new reality about news. That's the world we live in. We live in a world where there is bad news, filtered news, flooded news, outrageous news, and grabbing news. And it's left us kind of cynical about news. It's left us jaded about the messages that we hear every day. It's left us skeptical and untrusting of any news. But in light of the fact that we live in this weird reality of news, God's news has not changed at all in the past 2,000 years. The gospel is God's good news. And it has not changed in 2,000 years. The gospel is an announcement. It is good news about what Jesus has done. His coming into this world, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and his promised return. And this morning, we are going to talk about the gospel being God's good news. And we're going to break it down in three ways as we look at this longer passage. First of all, the gospel is good news of God's grace. The gospel is God's truth. And the gospel is God's one message for all people. So let's talk first of all about the gospel being good news of God's grace. Grace is good news for bad people, for people who cannot live up to God's standards. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us when he starts off telling us his story about his former life. Paul was a Jew. And in that time, in that culture, religion and culture were mixed together in the Jewish law. And so the, the law was a sign and a boundary marker of who was really a Jew of who was really following God. And Paul, formerly known as Saul, was the Jew of all Jews, the Pharisee of Pharisees. In verse 13 and 14, he describes himself this way. He says, for you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely, intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. What Paul is telling us is that he stood out. There were Jewish people, and then there were Jewish people who took their religion very seriously, and then there was Paul. And Paul was super passionate about Jewish culture and Jewish law and Jewish religion. And he stood out among his peers. And Paul, just like us, thought that the path he had chosen for his life was the right path. Doesn't everyone kind of think that? Like whatever I invest in, whatever I put myself into, whatever path I take for my life, that must be the right path because I took it. Now, Paul took a religious path. And many people take a religious path. They, they think that by following God, they'll earn something from God. But many people look at people like Paul and say, I don't want to be like that guy. So I'm going to take an irreligious path. I'm going to be good without God. I don't need God. I can be a good person by myself. And so the path that I'll choose for my life is an irreligious path, and that seems right. 
And see, for Paul, this life that he lived seemed right. And for most people, their life seems right. It seems like the right path that they're supposed to take. Until, until they're confronted with the gospel. Until they're confronted with God's grace. Until Jesus confronts us living our lives. You see, while Paul thought he was on the right path, he had just finished persecuting Christians and had overseen the death of a man named Stephen and was on the road to Damascus. You know the story, the road to Damascus. And this path he was on was the right path, the good path, until Jesus confronted him and changed his perspective. In Acts chapter 9, we have this story. Now Saul, that's formerly, that's who became Paul. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. That's pretty strong. He's convinced he's right, though. If he found any men or women who belonged to the way, that's Christians, he might bring them to Jerusalem as prisoners. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Paul was convinced he was on the right path until Jesus confronts him on the road to Damascus and opposes Paul's life. And Paul finds out that his life is actually in opposition to God himself. A curious question If Paul is living his life convinced he's right, but actually in direct opposition to God, why, when Jesus shows up on the scene, does he not crush Paul? Like, why, if if Saul is persecuting Jesus' church, and Jesus says, you're persecuting me, why, when Jesus shows up on the scene, does he not just crush Saul? Because Jesus is full of grace. When Paul describes his life in verse 15, he says this, but when God who set me, or who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. Jesus did not show up in Saul's life in light of his life, but in spite of his life. Jesus showed up in Saul's life not because of something in Saul, but something in Jesus, his grace. And Jesus shows up in our lives not based on something that we've done, not based on something we're doing, or not based on something that we will do, but actually in spite of what we've done, in spite of what we're doing, in spite of what we will do. That is grace. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, God's favor is not given in accord with Paul's past, but in contradiction to it. God's grace is given in contradiction to our lives. And nothing in life works by grace. Grace is supernatural, and nothing normally works by grace. You don't show up for a job interview. Hand the person your resume. They look at your resume and they kind of frown and they go, I'm sorry, 
you're not qualified at all, when can you start? Life doesn't work that way. You don't show up at a tryout for the Miami Dolphins and they go, you know what, after watching you for the last 30 minutes, it's obvious that you have absolutely no skill and you're not worthy of making the team. Here's your uniform. Life does not work that way. You don't go on a date with someone who's beautiful and smart and wealthy and funny and have an enjoyable time with them. And at the end of the date, they look at you and say, you know what, you just don't do it for me. Will you marry me? Life does not work that way because life does not work by grace, but God does. God works by grace because God is a God of grace. And as Paul looked at his life, he realizes that Jesus met him not because Paul was pleasing to God, but because it pleased God to come to Paul. That's what he says. He, God was pleased to reveal his son in me. Grace is not about something in you, but something in God. It's, it's not something you can earn from God, otherwise it's not grace. It's given freely by God to sinful people who do not deserve it. And it says that it was pleasing to God to reveal his son Jesus to Paul and in Paul. The gospel is an announcement that comes to us based on the grace of God, but it is an announcement, it is news, it is information about a person, about a Middle Eastern God-man who paid for our sins on the cross and on the third day was risen again. And it comes to us not based on the fact that we're walking on the right path in life, but often the exact opposite. We're rebelling Against God, and, and, and it's at that moment that God and his son Jesus begins to press in on us. I don't know if you had the experience when you became a Christian where in one sense it, found like you, it felt like you were seeking after God, but in another sense it felt like God was seeking after you. Something was coming at you from the outside and you felt like you couldn't explain it, but you knew it was happening. And that's why when Jesus finds people, people tend to say, listen, I, it, it wasn't that I became a Christian. It was more like Christianity happened to me. I was confronted by this resurrected person, Jesus. It's confronted in my sin, but then I was forgiven. It's why people, when they first become saved, they say, I found Jesus. But then as they look back over their life, they realize, no, Jesus found me. I was not even looking for him. But he found me because of his grace. He found me because of his grace and he transformed me and changed me. That's what Paul says happened to him. He was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach Jesus among the Gentiles. You have to understand how radical this is for a guy like Paul. Someone who was a protector of Jewish culture and Jewish law is now going out to pagans to spread the good news. He was against Christians, but now he's trying to get more people to become Christians. He had persecuted people who believed the gospel, but his life is so changed by Jesus Christ that he begins to preach the gospel. 
and try and see people converted just like he was. He looks back at his life and he realizes what he thought was the right path was, in fact, direct opposition to God. The wrong path. But it's amazing. Paul sees his active rebellion against God in his past, but he also sees God's active grace in his life, even though he was rebelling against God. He says that God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace. In other words, he looks back on his life and he's very honest about who he was, but he realizes that from day one, God was drawing him to himself. God's grace was still active in his story, even though he was actively rebelling against God. Even in his opposition against God, God was still preparing him for a mission. He was preparing him for the moment when he would submit to King Jesus, he would repent of his sins, and then he would be sent by Jesus with the good news. You see, in Paul's backstory, he was highly educated in the Old Testament law, which is one of the reasons why he was so passionate about it. He knew it well. And he was zealous for the traditions and the cultures of his fathers. And he was extremely educated and versed in Judaism and in the law and all sorts of things. And that led him to persecute Christians. But God's grace was still active in his education and his zeal because once he became converted, he used that knowledge of the Old Testament to preach the gospel. That passion he thought for what, was, what he thought was God was used for truly following God and spreading the gospel. This is amazing if you think about it. Because if you have a past and you get in a relationship with someone else, like you fall in love with someone, you don't really want to talk about your past, and they probably do not either, right? Let's just skip over that. I made a ton of mistakes. I don't, I don't want that to be part of the relationship. And they might go, look, I don't know what to do with your past, so let's just keep it buried. But God's not like that. God is not like that. God is not afraid of your past. He'll, in fact, use your past. Because he is a God of grace. You see, the gospel is the good news of God's grace to sinners through Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is trying to tell us. What lessons can we learn from what he's already said? Well, God saved you because of the grace in him, not because of something good in you. God saved you because of the grace in him, not because of something good in you. And what's freeing about that is if it's based on something he did and not something you did or doing or will do, then you can't mess it up. Like he has flipped the grace switch on and there's no off button. And your passion and zeal to follow God comes from his grace for you, not on earning something from him. And that should give you utter confidence when you become a Christian. Because your relationship status with God is not based on something you do, but on something he has done for you. In grace, he has given you Jesus Christ. But secondly, because of his grace, God can save anybody. 
I mean, people are just living their life until Jesus shows up. And as you think about your friends and family, you might go, no, they're too far gone. They're too far away. They're, they're too distant from God. They'll never find Jesus. And you know what? You're right. They never will. But it's not ultimately up to them finding Jesus, but Jesus finding them. And therefore, the distance between them and God isn't overpowering of God's grace towards them. And so listen, you may have someone that is so far from God, but that will not stop Jesus from finding them. And so you need to be in their life praying for them. You need to be in their life representing Jesus to them, telling them what the gospel is, calling them to repent and to faith, because Jesus can show up at any time and change someone's life completely. It's not based on who they are. It's based on who he is. Because of his grace, God can save anybody. But also, God saved you out of your backstory, but he will use your backstory. Like that person you're in a relationship with and you're struggling to know what should I do with my backstory and what are they going to do with my backstory? God doesn't save you and then go, oh my gosh, I didn't know what I was getting into. As I look at their past, I, didn't know, I don't know what to do with their addiction. I don't know what to do with their time in prison. I don't know what to do with their self-righteousness. I don't know what to do with their arrogance. I don't know what to do with that, that, that habitual sin that they can't get rid of. God is not surprised by your backstory because he showed up when you were in the middle of it. And he will use your backstory in his present story. And so listen, see your backstory for what it is. It is ignorance about God and rebellion against God, just like Paul. But God will use your backstory in his present story because of his grace. He's not afraid of your backstory. He's not ashamed of your backstory. Just like Paul's backstory was so messy, that's the very thing that God used to spread the gospel. In fact, Paul's change was so radical that it brought other people into worship of who God was. That's what Paul says in verse 23 and 24. They simply kept hearing, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Not because of something I've done, but because of what God has done in my life based on his grace. I used to be a Christian killer, but now I'm trying to get people to become Christians. How could that happen unless God's grace met me and changed me? And when people heard about Saul becoming Paul, opposed to Jesus, but now for Jesus, they could say, only God. Only God could do that. Some of you have a radical say, radically saved story. You resonate with the Apostle Paul, but some of you don't. Some of you grew up in Christian homes and you don't remember a day that you didn't believe. You became a Christian when you were young. And you go, well, my story's not that radical. That's okay. It's still about God's grace. If you've come to know Jesus, then your story is still about a Jesus who saves sinners. And it still brings glory to God. 
whether you're radically saved or you've known Jesus since you were a child, it's a Jesus story. It's about the good news of God's grace. The gospel is the good news of God's grace to sinners. But the gospel is also God's truth. The gospel is God's truth. The reason that Paul wants to tell us about his transformation on the road to Damascus is because he wants to make this point. The gospel I preach is not something I made up. It's not my thoughts on religion. It's not my reinterpretation of Judaism. The gospel that he preaches is not from man, but from God. He says in verse 11 and 12, For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul, is all his chips are in with the gospel. In Romans 1, he says that he's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. And then in 1 Corinthians 1, he says the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. And that gospel that he received, he says it's the power of God, but it's the truth of God. In other words, it didn't come from him. He's making a point to say, I received this through a revelation of Jesus Christ appearing to me. Now, why is he making that thing? Like, why is he going out of his way to say, it's not man-made, I didn't make it up, it's God-delivered, it's Jesus' revelation? Well, the reason is what we talked about last week, the error of the Judaizers, this group of teachers who have come into this new church in Galatia and say, listen, Christianity isn't about what Jesus has done It's about what you need to do. It's about being circumcised in order to be be accepted by God. It's It's about following the ceremonial laws on food cleanliness and washing your hands. That's how you really get cleansed. That's how you're really accepted by God. And so these Judaizers were turning Christianity from a Jesus has done this to you need to do this. From a religion of grace to a religion of law. And they're accusing Paul of getting the gospel wrong. They're saying, listen, Paul has gotten the gospel not from God, but from these other apostles who are already living in Jerusalem. And so it it does kind of come from man. And Paul's saying, no, it doesn't. It does not come from man. It comes from God. It comes from a revelation of Jesus. And those other apostles that you're accusing me of getting the gospel from, I don't even really know. I didn't even really know them. For a long time. Paul goes on to make the argument that not only did I get the gospel from God himself, but I'm an apostle of the gospel separate from Peter, James, and John who were also apostles of the gospel. In other words, those guys did not teach me the gospel. I got it from God. Paul goes into his travels And I know when someone tells me their vacation plans, after a while I kind of glaze over because I go, what's the point? (laughs) What's the point? But Paul has a point when he tells all that lists all those places. His point is, I avoided Jerusalem and I did not learn the gospel from those guys. 
I traveled around, around the known world at that time learning the gospel from Jesus. I went to Arabia where God told me what the gospel is. He reprogrammed me so that as I thought about the Old Testament, I could see it in light of the gospel. Can you put that map up? Basically, Paul is saying that he, after he leaves Jerusalem, he goes all these other places, and he only stops through Jerusalem for two weeks out of 10 plus years. He only meets with Peter. He doesn't see any of the other apostles except James. And his point is this, I didn't learn it from those guys, I learned it from God. In verse 16 and 17, he says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came to Damascus. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, then after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas, which is Peter, and I stayed with him 15 days. But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I declare in the sight of God, I am not lying in what I write to you. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I remain personally unknown to the Judean churches that are in Christ. And what Paul is getting at is I did not get the gospel from the Jerusalem church or the Jerusalem apostles. I got it from God himself. God revealed it to me. But he says, I did go to Jerusalem to meet with Peter. Not to be authorized as an apostle, not to get the gospel right, I already had it right, but just to meet with him and confirm and let him know that I was an apostle. And so Paul is saying all this, and here's the reason why. He wants people to see that the gospel that he got from God is about what Jesus has done, not about what you do to be acceptable to God. And that's why he goes into these travel plans. But after spending a decade away from Jerusalem, after not knowing the Jerusalem apostles for over 10 years, he decides to go to Jerusalem and meet with these apostles. Not so that he could have certainty on the gospel, he's already certain, but so that he can have unity with them. That he can bring the gospel that God has given him, that he has been preaching to the Gentiles for over a decade, and meet with these men who are preaching the gospel to the Jews. And have unity in what the gospel is. But he's nervous. He's nervous in going to Jerusalem. Not because he's afraid he got the gospel wrong, but he knows about the presence of the Judaizers in Jerusalem. And he's afraid that the Jerusalem apostles, who he does not know well, are going to bend to the pressure. And they're going to change Christianity from something that Jesus has done for us to something that you do to make yourself acceptable to God. And so Paul says that he's afraid that he has run in vain. But he says, we've got to do this. We've got to get on the same page. I have to take my gospel that God has given me and meet with them and show the unity we have in the gospel. So he brings a test case to Jerusalem with him. Titus, who's not a Jew, not even a little part of a Jew. He's an uncircumcised Greek. And bringing Titus to Jerusalem... The center of the, of the Jewish religion is a little bit like when your parents say, I love people of all races, and then you bring someone home who's not of their race, and you find out what they really think about someone from other races. That's a little bit what Paul is doing with Titus. He's bringing Titus right into the center of where the Jewish apostles are established. And what, is, what happens in 3 verse 5? 
But when he went to Jerusalem with Titus, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us, in order to make Christianity a doing religion for God rather than something that Jesus has done for you. But we did not give up and submit to these people even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. He goes and he meets with the Jerusalem apostles. He brings Titus and they see this Greek man who believes in Jesus, who's full of the Holy Spirit, who wants to serve the Lord, but he's not Jewish. And when the Jerusalem apostles, Peter, James, and John, see this man, they say, he's in. Because the gospel is not about what he does, but about what Jesus has done for him. And therefore, he's in even though he's not circumcised. And therefore, the gospel is not about what we do for God, but about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Titus is fully accepted. In truth, he is accepted. And we learn some lessons from the gospel being God's truth. First of all, this, the gospel is God's truth. What we learn from this kind of rant he does about his travels is God doesn't reveal one part of the gospel to someone else and another part to someone else. He doesn't reveal two gospels, but one gospel because the gospel is God's truth. It doesn't come from man. But then the gospel is also God's truth. It's his truth. See, we kind of love that part where Jesus meets us in our sin and there's this relational sense But part of this whole thing with the gospel is making sure that we get the teaching about the gospel correct. In other words, doctrine matters. It's an announcement about a person, but you must get the announcement correct. And what Paul is contending for is the truth of the gospel because it is God's truth. And that truth leads to freedom. In other words, if you get the truth wrong, you do not have a relationship with God based on freedom, but based on works. Just as we see with Titus, that freedom is full acceptance by God. God's truth leads to freedom, which leads to full, that freedom is full acceptance by God. Not based on what you have done for God, but based on what Jesus has done for you. And if the gospel is God's truth, then it means this, there is no other way to be acceptable to God. There's no other way to have relationship with God except through God's gospel. It's his gospel. It's his truth. Because the gospel is God's one message for all people. It is true news about Jesus Christ, and it is his one message for all people. These two groups of apostles who have not spent much time together both say that they have received the same gospel. The Jewish apostles in Jerusalem from their time spent with Jesus, from his baptism and his life and his teaching and watching him and running away when he was crucified but then seeing him resurrected and spending 40 days with him before he ascended into heaven. That's where Peter, James, and John got the gospel. But Paul got the very same gospel. On the road to Damascus when Jesus confronted him and his time in Arabia back in Damascus. And then when he spent all those other times preaching the gospel, 
Two different places, two different groups of apostles, the same gospel because the gospel is God's one message for all people. In verses 7 and 8, on the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised just as Peter was for the circumcised since the one at work in Peter for an apostleship to the circumcised was also at work in me for the Gentiles. And then let's do verse 9. When James, Peter, and John, those recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. These apostles who do not know each other well come to unity about what the gospel is because the gospel is God's one message for all people. You know, in an age of misinformation, fake news, bad news, deceptive news, the gospel has remained the same for 2,000 years. The gospel is God's good news. It is the good news of grace that he has for sinners like us. The gospel is God's truth, and the gospel is God's one message for all people. Live with confidence in it. Don't change it, but share it. Share it. Jesus can change anyone. The gospel is God's truth. And if you want to know what God wants to say to someone, it is the message of what Jesus has done for them. Be confident in it and share it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this good news of what Jesus has done for us. And we pray as we continue to go through Galatians, it might change us, it might shape us, it might lead us into a deeper relationship of obedience and love with you. Lord, we thank you for your word. Sometimes it's complicated and yet when we get into it, we see how much, how powerful you are and how good you are. And so we pray, Father, that you would continue to shape us and change us through it. In your name we pray, amen.